Some of you may or may not know this. Uh, I, I know that some of you do. I guess some of you may not know this. But uh, many years ago, I felt the Lord uh, calling me to, to prepare my life. I felt like the Lord said that at some point inside the CNMA, I would be a district superintendent. And uh, that's kind of crazy for somebody to want to be that because, you know, take the, take the problems that you have in a local church and multiply that by 50 or 80 or 150, depending upon the district. You know, it's just an insane thing. Uh, lest any of you get too worried, uh, I've not been elected DS of any district, nor am I being asked right now. I'm just sharing a story. <laughs> okay? So, and it's a part of the illustration. So I, I felt like the Lord told me that someday I would be a DS, and in that, when he was speaking to my spirit, here's what he said. And this is critical for you to hear about your own life, not about mine. He said, I'm calling you to be a DS someday, and unless you get ready, start getting ready, start doing the things to prepare yourself for it, you will fail. This is a real eye-opener for someone from my generation. I'm a Gen Xer, right? And uh, many, if not most, of the Gen X pastors I know want to be thrust into important leadership roles without first growing in their faith and leadership abilities. I want to tell you about district conferences that I've been to and national council when I go, and you could find the Gen X pastors, those from my generation, sitting around with a chip on their shoulder because they could not get positions at the national office or on Dexcom or on the board of directors or on LOCC or other such things. And what's worse about this, we're sitting around with this chip on our shoulder, we actually began to convince the baby boomers, those pastors that were baby boomers, that the problem wasn't us, the problem was them. That they were keeping leadership away from us. And that they were the issue. I was actually a vocal part of this group at one point. That wasn't until I, until I realized that there was a lot of maturing in the faith to do before I would be ready for those kind of roles. And that came from the Lord saying to me, I'm calling you to be a DS someday and, and, I, and I want you to get ready for that now because you're going to fail. In that. If you're younger than a baby boomer, which is pretty much our, anybody who's not a senior citizen, I want to encourage you in this. You're probably not ready for important leadership roles. That comes with maturity in the faith, that comes with growing in the faith, and maturity in the faith is not magically imparted. Just because we've been a believer for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Maturity in the faith comes as we operate and go through life circumstances and we're given opportunities to trust God, to grow in our faith, to do all of those things. And you might be sitting around and and, and lamenting this, but can I just be honest with you? Right now, we're still in the time where it's our baby boomers' time to lead. Now, that's going to transition soon. But our baby boomers are supposed to be the leaders right now. It's their time to lead, and, and, and shortly they'll begin to transition leadership over to us. Now, I could preach this sermon 50 different ways, 
But I just want to remind you, and I'm not preaching out of Titus, but I want to remind you of the book of Titus where that pastor is told to teach the older to train the younger. And that's not numerical age, that's the more mature in the faith training up the less mature in the faith. So that they can ultimately lead. Today we're going to look closely at this concept of needing to mature in the faith by considering the different outcomes of Abraham being asked by God to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Specifically, what if Abraham had been asked by God to sacrifice Isaac at different seasons in his life? Would it have went the same? But before we consider what might have been, let's look at what actually happened in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Now this is the short version of the long story that can be found in in the book of Genesis. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Here's what the scriptures say from the English Standard Version. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. I want you to understand something. If you were to go into the book of Genesis and you were to read about Abraham being asked to sacrifice up Isaac and and all of this stuff, you would see there that what's going on is, as this is happening, Abraham never even paused for a moment. People say, oh, if I was Abraham, I would have struggled with that. If I was Abraham, I would have struggled with that concept. But you know, Abraham didn't. The scriptures say right here, Abraham didn't. It said that he figured that God would even be able to bring him back from the dead if need be. This is huge. This is enormous. And my conjecture to you today is that that was only possible because Abraham had matured in his faith. And if that request had been made at different times in his faith walk with God in different seasons of his life, I think the results would have been very different. So how would those things have been very different? We're going to get into that using a combination of the stories in Genesis and real world examples of people who are walking in the faith while we live and breathe here on the earth today. So let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God. We ask you to speak into us in a very real way today. Help us to understand what it is that you're saying. And Father, help us to see that in order to to be faithful leaders, in order to be faithful men and women in your church, that we must grow in our faith. And we don't grow just by passively sitting, but we grow by being engaged in those things which are meant to grow us that you send into our life. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. So, I've heard a lot of Christians struggle hard with the passage of Scripture that out right here. And, and the Old Testament historical events that it's based on. These struggle include 
a lot of things, but here's some of the ones. Disbelief that God would actually ask Abraham to do this. You don't know how many Christians who I know love Jesus say, I don't believe that part of the Bible. Hmm, really? You don't believe that part of the Bible? So which parts of the Bible do you believe? You don't believe any of the things that challenge your faith, but the things that don't challenge your faith? So basically, you're God. Because God wouldn't do something that you're uncomfortable with. This doesn't just go into that stuff. I mean, this goes into... This could go into anything. This could go into, well, I don't really believe in tongues anymore inside of the church because I'm uncomfortable with that. Or I don't believe in miracle healings because I'm uncomfortable with that. Or I don't believe in this or that or the other thing because I'm uncomfortable with that. Another reason that people struggle with it is shock and awe that Abraham would even consider doing it. What was he thinking? Hmm... That God, the God of all the universe, the God that created him, the God that promised him Isaac, the God that he had grown to know his voice and know that it was God speaking, said, go do this. Hmm. I think he was thinking obedience was better than anything else. Or the other one, well, I think Abraham misunderstood God. God never really meant for him to do that. Abraham was just misunderstanding him. And God had to swoop in at the last minute to save Abraham from making a big mistake. Look, in the passage, he says, no, look, don't do it. Here's a ram caught up in the thicket by its horns. Sacrifice that instead. See, God jumped in there because Abraham misunderstood. Hmm. Hmm. Not so much. These struggles, though, they, they come not from, the, not from things in the biblical text. These struggles don't come from the Scriptures. It's not things that the Scripture even leaves open to interpretation, but rather they come, I believe, from the personal faith struggles of the person who's protesting. It's based on their own current maturity level. Are you confused yet? Let me clear it up by telling you about my friend Debbie. Debbie's a real person. Debbie struggled with Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac because Debbie could not see herself ever obeying a command from God like this. Debbie, in this instance, and I'm not saying she was an idolater in the sense that she didn't really serve Jesus, but in this sense, Debbie was worshiping an idol because her God would never ask her to do anything like this. This was just heinous. And, De- and if he did, Debbie's like, nope, I, wouldn't, I would not obey that. This, this Debbie's own words. Okay? Debbie was kind of like Abraham at the beginning of his faith journey with God. And by the way, just so you know, this was sin on Debbie's part. And if this is where you're at right now, I love you. But can I just tell you, it's sin. You're saying, I would rebel against God. And you need to understand that that's what you're saying. Again, I'm not trying to put this on anybody. I'm just saying, if this is where you're at, if you're kind of amen in Debbie's position, it's sin. Debbie was kind of like Abraham at the beginning of his faith journey. And all of these passages I'm going to mention out of Genesis, I'm going to show them to you at the end so that you can read them this week for homework. So in Genesis 12, God asked Abraham to leave his home and go to a promised land, right? And Abraham had enough faith to do it. And I think this is where Debbie was at. God had called Debbie out of the old life that she was living, 
asked her to, to give her life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to come and submit to Him and surrender to Him and, and to make Him Lord of her life. And so De- Debbie had done that, and Debbie had received that promise of, of a new life in Jesus Christ. She had repented of her sins. She would become born again. She was saved. She was whatever the words that you want to put in there. That's what happened in Debbie's life. But see, the problem was the struggle was based in Debbie's maturity level. You see, in Genesis 12, we find out that Abraham's faith walk with God, he had enough faith to trust God to keep him alive during a famine. He'd been taken to this new land, and there was a famine that came. But he wasn't mature enough to trust God with the life of those he loved. And even his own life completely. Because when he went to Egypt, he told Sarah, let's lie to Pharaoh about who you are. Because if Pharaoh finds out that you're my wife, and it wasn't, it was kind of not a full lie because technically Sarah was his half sister. So it wasn't a total lie. It was just a little lie, which by the way is just as big as a big lie. Okay. But he goes there and he doesn't trust it. He doesn't trust that God can keep him alive through all of this. He doesn't trust it, so he takes matters into his own hands. He he was able to trust God to a certain point, but in other areas of provision, he wasn't able to trust God in that. This is kind of like Debbie. See, Debbie where she was at in her faith walk at the time that she's protesting this, Debbie struggled with even giving money in the offering. She couldn't even give money in the offering consistently, let alone saying, I would trust my child to you. Now, this isn't a sermon about tithing and offering. This is just helping you to understand where Debbie was at in this time period. And, and her protestation to God asking Abraham for his son to sacrifice him up was based in where she was at not in what the scripture said if you find yourself protesting about God asking Abraham to do this and saying I can never do this I want to ask you today to wrestle with this question are you in the place where Debbie was where you're having a hard time trusting him with anything let alone something so precious as your child Wrestle with that. Like Abraham at at the beginning, at the early part of his faith walk, Debbie was just beginning to learn to trust God. And that's okay, and I'm not trying to condemn you if that's where you're at, but you need to go further. And I don't know, I I just don't think that God at this juncture in life is going to say to you, go ahead and put your son up on the altar and sacrifice him. He's probably asking you to sacrifice something else to get you ready for what's to come. Just like he told me, you're going to be a DS and you're going to fail unless you get ready. Start preparing now. I think that God is probably asking you to take those steps of faith. The things that are in front of you right now, rather than protesting about Isaac, why don't you just say, God, what's in the protest? What's with my heart that I'm protesting this? What is it that I'm withholding from you? What is it that I'm not willing to trust you with? I don't want to be in this position. I want to be able to trust you. 
What's sad about Debbie's story is that she had actually been a believer for several decades at this point. She had her undergraduate degree and her master's degree from a respected Christian university. And yet she had never grown in her faith enough to even trust God with her financial resources, let alone these other bigger things. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years. It doesn't mean you're mature. I don't care if you've been a Christian for five years. It doesn't mean that you're immature. What builds maturity in us is have we obeyed the things that God has set before us no matter how scary they are? Does this make sense, what I'm saying to you? This is what builds maturity. It is not chronological time in the faith. It's what you did when the trials, when the temptations, when the struggles, when the commands, when all of those things came. It's what you've done with them that will help you to grow in your faith or stunt your growth. Debbie's own testimony was full of instances where God was asking her to trust Him with things like tithing, like serving in the church, and even to break the habit of church hopping. Debbie, two, three years in a church, they'd go to another one. Two, three years, they'd go to another one. Two, three years, they'd go to another one. Because God was trying to take her deeper and she was avoiding it. She was blaming the church. She's doing all of those things, you know, because, well, I can't stick it out. God doesn't, he, she'd come up with a reason why the Lord didn't want her there. I feel strongly impressed to say this. I could be wrong. If you've come here from another church and you have not went and talked to the pastor and the elders and left in a good manner, go back. I don't know if that resonates with anybody. That's your church. Go back. If the Lord is really calling you out to come here, go sit down and talk with the pastor and the elders. Don't just disappear. Amen? Okay, that wasn't really part of the sermon notes. That's just I feel impressed to say that this morning. Abraham first had to learn to trust God in little things like this. Like with him not being killed because Sarah was a hottie. I mean, that's really what it was. He's like, you're so good. You're such a wonderful lady. But Pharaoh will kill me because he's going to want you. Right? He had to learn to trust God in little things like that before he could ever come to sacrifice his child. Here's the whole thing. He didn't have a son at this point. But I believe that if Abraham had a son at this point, he would have failed it. I don't think Abraham would have taken him to Mount Moriah. I don't think as you read in the book of Genesis where Abraham says to his servants that went with him, you guys wait here. This is Abraham's word. By the way, this illustration about Abraham doing this, this historical event, is one of my favorite things to preach on. Abraham said to them, you wait here. The boy and I will come back to you. He really believed that God would raise him from the dead if that's what needed to happen. But he didn't automatically get to that place. It wasn't just this supernatural impartation. He had grown in his faith. And I believe if he had been asked at this point in time, he'd have failed. 
What about Mike and Tia's struggle? Though Mike and Tia have never directly voiced a struggle with this passage to me, like they've never said to me, I really struggle with this concept. Sarah and I are close enough to Mike and Tia to know how they would react because of their story, and you'll see how this makes sense in just a moment. Mike and Tia were both Christians who married one another. And they wanted nothing more in their life than to raise a family. But then they got bad news as they were trying to to conceive. They found out that they would never be able to conceive a natural child of their own unless God did a miracle. One of them was unable to have kids. And yes, we know which one, and it's not important. They had major grief over this. It was what they wanted. Very much like Sarah and Abraham's story. They wanted a child. It was bothersome that they couldn't have a child. However, they didn't grieve forever. People in our church at that time started receiving prophetic words of knowledge from from the Lord about how they were going to have a child. And they were tempted to do all kinds of stuff to make that word from God come to pass. They looked at all kinds of ways to make that come to pass. God says He's going to do it, so this means we can go out and make it happen. But through coaching and through loving on Mike and Tia and through prayer, we convinced them time and time and time again to wait on God's timing, to wait on God's timing, to wait on God's timing. And as we told him to wait on God's time, and we said, God is asking you for this child, and Mike and Tia struggled with God telling them to sacrifice the child they didn't even have yet. We continued to tell them as they'd come up with plans, we're like, we don't think that's what the Lord wants to do in your life. Give the baby back to God before the baby's even here and say, God, this is what I'm going to serve you with this. This is the act of baby dedication. And there's a lot of people who dedicate babies to God, And don't mean it. What you mean is you want some magical thing to happen, but you don't want to actually live out your faith and take the child on that journey and grow them. But when you give them back to God, you say, God, they're yours. I give them back to you. It's something altogether different. This is really similar to Abraham and Sarah being told they were going to have a son in Genesis 17 and 18. They wanted to believe. They did believe. They doubted. And they'd believe again. And then they'd struggle. And they'd believe again. And and there were temptations to take matters into their own hands. And this is like Mike and Tia. Many times Mike and Tia were tempted to take matters into their own hands. Many times they were tempted. But we kept encouraging them not to. I remember all the tears. I remember all the times where Mike and Tia, Tia especially, just would be bawling and grieving and crying out to God, why can't we have a baby? God, give us this baby. And then to make matters worse, we had another couple in our church, Jesse and Michelle. Jesse or Michelle had completely blocked fallopian tubes, was told you'd never have another baby again. If you do get pregnant somehow or another, you need to have it aborted. It will kill you. It will never make it past the opening of your fallopian tubes. You will die. And then Jesse and Michelle got pregnant, baby in the uterus where it was supposed to be. And this made it worse 
for Mike and Tia. Because now God had shown up in a miraculous way in somebody else's life. And the doctors were astounded. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. There's no way these people should be pregnant. And they were just baffled. And this made it harder on Mike and Tia. See, the problem is at that time period, Mike and Tia's maturity level caused them to struggle. Where they were at in the faith was causing them to struggle with what God was asking them to do. I'm not saying that Mike and T were bad Christians. I'm not saying that Debbie was a bad Christian. I'm just saying that God hadn't grown them to the point yet of being able to give up their child. They first had some maturing in their faith to do before they could receive this promised son. In other words, Mike and Tia were struggling with how to receive the promise of God, let alone giving it up. It's kind of like Abraham and Sarah, remember? They took matters into their own hand. Sarah went to Hagar. Said, you can go into Abraham. Abraham, you can take Hagar. She'll give you a son. They took matters into their own hands. See, I think at that point in time, had, had Abraham been asked to give up a son, I don't think he would have been able to do it. Because they were too busy trying to receive the promise, let alone give the promise back to God. Is what I'm saying making sense? Mike and Tia, by the way, ended up receiving the son. There was another lady in the church. Her name was Jolene. Jolene's okay with sharing this story. Jolene was going through a divorce. In the process of that divorce, she started seeing another man. She made some mistakes. She sinned against God, sinned against her family, sinned against the husband that she was still married to, had an, had an affair, and got pregnant. Yes, I intentionally changed the word from mistakes to sin. That's what the Bible calls it, sin. Jolene will tell you it's sin. As Jolene was like, Lord, what am I going to do? The Lord said, I'm, this was not God's plan. Hey, let's get Jolene pregnant out of wedlock to bless them. No, that wasn't his plan. But he took Jolene's sin and redeemed it. He said, Jolene, I want you to give the baby to Mike and Tia to raise as their own. I want you to let Mike and Tia adopt the baby. Jolene already had a couple of kids. Three, I think. I could be wrong. Two, my wife says. And boy, we prayed a lot during that time period because we were afraid, boy, I don't know if Mike and T are going to be able to take this if, if they pull the rug out from under, if Jolene pulls the rug out from anything and decides to keep this baby, but she didn't. Jolene gave the baby up. And, and so this baby that was conceived outside of wedlock, this baby that was conceived in a manner that wasn't appropriate, that was sinful, God took that and redeemed it. And, and that is the child that I, I'm that baby's godparent. And so is Sarah. I don't know. I'm starting to say God Daddy, and I, because I don't want to say, I don't want to say the Godfather, because that's just kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> but uh, you know, as you're thinking about it, you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not the Godfather, and I'm going to just resist my temptation to do an Italian accent right now. So, uh, but anyways, so they received this baby, right? But uh, what about another story? What about Alex's struggle with this passage? Another friend of mine. Alex struggles with this passage and what God is calling, what God called Abraham to do because as Alex, growing up, 
She had a super bad relationship with her dad. Super bad. She was raised in a Christian home. Now, I want to explain the Christian home. Her parents attended church. Her, her mom had grown up in the church. They were regularly volunteering, all of these kind of things. And whether or not her dad and mom were really believers, I don't know. But what I do know is that Alex was struggling with seeing some things coming out of her family life and some things that going on with her dad and really lining that up with how would God expect me to do all of this kind of thing. And, and her dad was saying, this is the way it's going to be, by golly. And, and he would just bring the hammer down on them. And this caused Alex as a teen to pack up, move out, move to another state and never, never, never come back home until she was an adult. Much of Alex's baggage came from the fact that she did not feel like her parents, her dad especially, actually lived out the Christian life the way she understood it. Her dad was tough on her, often in the name of the Lord, and she found herself growing angry with him and with God because her dad was having, in her mind, to choose between God and her. And, and to Alex, choosing God over her was wrong. Now, I wasn't there, and I don't know. And if you only hear Alex's side of the story, you tend to want to side with Alex. But don't, because you only know Alex's side of the story as told by me. We don't know what was actually going on. And let me just tell you something real quick. If her dad was choosing God over her, that was correct. God first, then his wife, then his kids. Take that up with the Lord. He says he'll have no other gods before him, and that includes your family. And then the husband or wife, you're one flesh. Then the kids. So she really struggled with this. I mean, if God asked Alex to sacrifice her child, she would rebel. Because it isn't right that we have to choose between God and family. These are Alex's feelings. It's where Alex is at. This is very similar to Abraham's faith walk with God while Lot was living in Sodom. In Genesis 18 and 19, God tells Abraham, this is after he promised the son's coming, <coughs> God tells Abraham that he's going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham has this kind of mini-rebellion with God, where over several verses we hear about him going to God and saying, okay, wait a minute. Before you do this, what if there's 50 righteous people? Will you let the city stand for 50 righteous people? And God says, okay, fine, I'll let it stand for 50 righteous people. And Abraham's like, oh, you know, I've spoken, but let me, let me do it once more. And he goes 40, 30. He gets it down to 10. And God says, okay, for 10 righteous people. I think the reason that Abraham was doing this is because he knew that's where his nephew lived, Lot, who he was really close with, who when he was called out of the land where he came from, he took Lot with him. And at one point he considered making Lot his heir. And for Abraham, choosing to, to, to obey God and, and allowing God to, to do this and, and to not try to interfere was the same thing as abandoning Lot. At that point in Abraham's journey, it never occurred to Abraham that God could bring Lot out of the destruction. 
He had to get in there and he had to take over the role of God. And he had to make sure that Lot was protected. And he had to do all of this. And that's something that many of us in our particular area of our faith walk that we're at right now, we feel like we have to protect those who are weaker and can't protect themselves. And to that I say, bull! God says he is the defender of the weak, not you. His words, not mine. Get mad at him. He is fully capable of bringing people out of the destruction. And this is what happened. We know that God sent the angels, a couple of angels, to Lot. And they end up taking Lot and his family out. And we could get into the story about his wife looking back, but we won't. See, at this point, Alex was like God. She was struggling with trusting, or excuse me, Alex was like Abraham, who was struggling to trust God to do what was best in the life of those that she loved. Because of Alex's baggage, because of where Alex had grown up, because of all of those things, Alex was in a place in her faith where she was struggling to let God be God because, though she wouldn't like to say it this way, she believed she knew better than him. Now, to Alex's credit, she's a, good, she's a good girl who loves Jesus to the best of her ability. There's no doubt in my mind that Alex loves Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind that she's born again. But where she was at, where she's even at to this day, there's no way she's going to be willing to sacrifice her child because the baggage from her past, it's not quite fully healed yet. She needs healing before God could ever ask her to do that with, with the father wounds that she has from growing up. I believe if Abraham had been asked to sacrifice Isaac at this point, that the, the story of Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah vividly illustrates that Abraham would have failed miserably to offer him up. But I think that God was using this event in Abraham's life almost as a capstone event of all of the things that were going on. This is the first time that, that Abraham really had to trust the life of someone he loved into God's hands. See, like with Sarah and Pharaoh, Abraham was worried about himself, not Sarah being killed. But this is the, the one I love, like a son. And I already told you this. Rather than God sparing those cities, He chose to protect and deliver Lot, Abraham's loved one, from the destruction that was to come. He was helping Abraham to continue maturing in the faith. And in a figurative way, Abraham received Lot back from the dead. And I believe this lesson will come into play later on. Because in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11, it said, He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham didn't shrink away from the challenges that he was faced with. And I'm not saying that he didn't argue with God. And I'm not saying that he didn't try to convince God at different times that, that to do it different ways. But Abraham faithfully walked through these things. See, we get the capstone events in Abraham's life to see his life of faith, to see why he made it in the Faith Hall of Fame. And we're like, I could never. But remember, there was a time in Abraham's life where he could have never. He had to grow in his faith. 
I look back right now at some of the things the Lord's called me to do in the past that I've obeyed and followed Him and done exactly what He said, and I wish right now He would ask me to do those things because I figured out how He's going to work in those things, and it's great, but He's asking me to do other things. He didn't just take me through those things as, as capstone events in my life. He took me through those things to continue growing me in my faith so that I would continue pushing on to God. That I would continue to go further in to His presence. C.S. Lewis describes this event in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia. There in the last battle, in the last book, he talks about Reepicheep, the mouse, going further up and further in. And every time he got to the center of the garden, he found out there was another garden in the center of the garden that he had to get to. And so he goes further up and further in and further up and further in. And if you think you've reached Jesus Christ, you're wrong. You cannot understand this infinitely perfect, wonderful God fully with your finite mind. So stop boxing him in and take the challenges that he's setting out before you. Don't shy away. Don't shrink back. Learn from Abraham's example. I want to go back to my opening illustration about the Lord telling me that someday I was going to be a DS and, and how the Gen Xers would get an attitude because you know, they couldn't serve and I was part of that. But God wasn't giving me more and bigger ministry because I wasn't mature enough to handle it yet. Some of you are wanting more and bigger ministry. Or you want a higher position at your secular job. Or you want this or you want that or you want the other thing. And I want to tell you that it's very possible you're not at the place yet to be able to handle that. I'm not saying that's the case in all circumstances. But you may not be in the place to handle that yet. And I want to encourage you to, to, to say, God, grow me. Like Abraham and Debbie and Mike and Tia and Alex, we must mature in our faith in this season of life if we ever want to be ready for the next season. Gen X pastors wanted leadership of who the, over the alliance. They wanted it given to them before they were mature enough to actually be given it. And likewise, many of us want God to do things in our lives that we're not ready for yet. Crying out for new jobs, new church positions, a new home, a new husband, a new wife. And God seems to be holding back. And we're frustrated. I'm here to tell you why you're frustrated. In many cases, not all, but many. It is because if God gave you now what He plans for you to have in the future, it would overwhelm you and destroy you. So how do we mature in the faith enough to have these things? How do we mature enough to get these things that, so they won't destroy us when we do receive them? We mature in the faith by being faithful in the things God has already brought into our lives. 
Stacy and Dave Grice will tell you this is true, as, as will every person who's ever went through my class that I teach at PBI called Raising Leaders for the Harvest. I start the class out and I remind them over and over and over and over again. If somebody comes to you, if you're pastoring in a church, if you're a leader in a church, and they come to you demanding that you give them some kind of leadership role or whatever, but they haven't been faithful with the little things like cleaning the toilet or vacuuming or whatever, tell them, no. Because Jesus says, not Jerry, Jesus, I'm just repeating him, says, if you are faithless with little... You will be faithless with much. If you want to be trusted with bigger and better things, if you want to be trusted with higher positions of leadership, whether it's in the church or whether it's in a secular job, if you want to be trusted with a, with a bigger home or a bigger bank account, all those things, be faithful with what God has given you now. It's an easy one to use to explain it. Let me explain it real quick and I'm going to give it to you a different way. People say, well, I can't tithe because I don't have enough money to tithe. You'll never have enough money to tithe until you decide to do it. Be faithful with what God has given you now. Okay, let me give you a different example because I don't want to just pick on money because this isn't about tithing. This is about being faithful to whatever God's called you to do, to do it in a faithful Christian way, not to just do it, to do it in the way God would have you to do it. How about a kid growing up? I'm going to bring Maddie up here, and I'm going to give Maddie... How old is Maddie now? Four, right? Five, three? I'm going to give Maddie... Maddie's she's, she's a big girl. She's learning to be potty trained she's, and all of those kind of things. So she's a big girl. She's trustworthy. So today I'm giving Maddie the keys to my car, and she can have it, and she can drive it wherever she wants. <laughs> Stupid, Right? Because there's some things that Maddie has to do before she's able to take on that responsibility. Because if I give Maddie the keys to the car right now, she's probably going to kill herself and maybe some other people. It's going to destroy her. This is a real big one. Teenagers, I want to challenge you. Stop coming to church and checking out. Everything I say every Sunday morning is for you as well. Some of you have some real bad anger towards your parents. You're struggling with some things because mom and dad won't give you what you want. Grow up and become mature enough to handle it. You don't like the curfew? Get over it. When you show you're faithful with that, you'll be trusted with more. I mean, all of the parents understand this. We understand this about our kids. We don't just let our kids go buck wild and run the house and all those things. No, we give them what they can handle. And it's the same thing in our faith. So here's the million dollar question for today. That should not say that. It should say, are you going to faithfully mature in the little things? There should be a two in there. Are you going to faithfully mature in the little things that God has given you already? Or are you going to sit around dreaming about tomorrow? Are you going to faithfully mature in the little things that God has given you already? Or are you just going to sit around dreaming about tomorrow? I have another friend of mine. His name's Peter. I believe that God has a call on Peter's life. And I believe that it will be many years, if and maybe never, 
that Peter actually fulfills the call that God has for him. God is really going to have to get a hold of Peter's heart. God is calling Peter to be a preacher. While Peter was being called to be a preacher, this is, this is not Peter in the Bible, this is a Peter that I know in today's age. He's like, I, he was given opportunities to go to different places to preach and he kept turning them down. He said, no, God is calling me to preach to auditoriums full of people. And I said, you will never preach to auditoriums full of people until you're faithful with the two or three or four that God's given you to preach to there. And I love Peter. This kid's almost like a son to me. And I'm afraid that Peter will never, ever receive what God is calling him to receive because he won't get ready for it. You have to be faithful in these things. So how do you know sometimes if you're not faithful with them? This is kind of a bonus, bonus sermonette. So if there was time, and there's time. So I'm going to give it to you real quick. When Abraham got ready for sacrificing Isaac, there was a lot of things that he had learned up to that day. But you know, he had to repeat at least one lesson. See, Sarah with Pharaoh... He told the lie so that Pharaoh wouldn't kill him. Abimelech, the king of Gerar, this was right before the sacrifice. Abraham had to learn the lesson again. He lied again about who Sarah was so that Abimelech wouldn't kill him. Some of you are thinking about Abimelech's name and you're like, that's not how you pronounce it. Yes, it is. I'm usually just say stuff confidently. This one, I had to look it up. <laughs> but uh, and it actually isn't really his name. It actually means king. It's like a title like Pharaoh. But Abimelech, the king of, of Gerar, he had to repeat the lesson. Are you finding yourself facing some of the same challenges that you faced a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or ten years ago? Do you feel like you're going around the same mountain over and over again? Kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness? It's because you're not learning what you need to be learning. So stop and ask God. Say, God, what am I supposed to be getting through all of this? What am I supposed to be learning? Maybe go and ask those in authority over you, what am I supposed to be learning? Because I know, think about it in the secular job. You're in the job and you think you're doing everything that you need to to get promoted, but the boss just isn't promoting you. Have you ever thought of going and asking the boss, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? Can you help me out here? Can you explain to me what needs to change? Most of the time, it's not just because the boss is a jerk. Most of the time, he's looking or she's looking for qualities in your life that aren't there yet. Ask, what character virtues do I need to develop? Now, keep in mind, I said most of the time. Sometimes there's just jerk bosses. But that's, that's, that's not most of the time. Some of the times there are. Are you doing the things that are going to help you to faithfully mature or are you sitting around dreaming about tomorrow instead? 
Some people want to be teachers. Come to church regularly. Some people want to be on the worship team. Learn to play an instrument. Learn to sing. I could go on and on and on. Be faithful in the little things. Get ready. But you know how I roll. I don't want you to believe me. So here's homework for the week. Monday, Genesis chapter 12. Tuesday, Genesis chapter 16. Now you can feel free to just read from like 12 on through the end of this. But Tuesday, Genesis 16. Wednesday, Genesis 17, 1 through 18, 15. Thursday, Genesis 18, 16 through 19, 22. Friday, Genesis chapter 21 and 22. And Hebrew, and Saturday, Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. Monday through Friday is the parts of Abraham's story, historical fact, not a made-up story, it's historical fact, as it relates to today's sermon. I want you to read this historical account, this historical narrative, so that you can see I'm not making this stuff up about what Abraham was learning. And then Saturday is the condensed version that we see in Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. It's the condensed version. It's kind of like the Reader's Digest condensed book, where you think, you know, you read it in the Reader's Digest, and you think you read the whole book, but then you come to find out it's only a little tiny bit of the book. But if you, read the bigger, if you read the bigger historical record, I think that you'll find the condensed book, the condensed version in Hebrews is far richer than you ever imagined. It becomes far more meaningful. So let's pray together. Father, we confess to you that many times and in many ways, we may not have been faithful with the things that you've called us to do. That we may not have been faithful in following you the way that you've called us to follow you. That we may have held back in certain areas and, and, and that holding back in those areas, we've not realized that, that it's keeping us from receiving the blessings and the things that you want to do in our life. And we confess that to you. And we ask this week as we read through Genesis and we read this passage in Hebrews again, that you would help us to come to an understanding of what it means to be faithful in these little things of what it means to to honor you in these little things that you trust us with, and that we would grow in our faith in a very real and tangible way. Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to grow. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said.